Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning. What a, uh, what a kind introduction. Uh, I was uh, planning on doing a little bit of a self-introduction, but uh, Andrew stole all my, my material, so <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, one of the things that's been kind of cool around Wildwood recently, that there is a lot of people who uh, I actually don't recognize, and that's because Wildwood has been through such a time of growth, and there's new families that are here, uh, and so it is necessary to do a little bit of a self-introduction. Uh, so my name is Alex Logan. Uh, my wife, Lara, and I are full-time career missionaries in uh, Tokyo, Japan. Specifically, we live in an area of Japan uh, called Tachikawa, which is about an hour and 15 minutes outside of the, uh, the to- downtown Tokyo area. Uh, we were commissioned from Wildwood to serve there uh, in 2018 and just finished up four years of uh, full-time service there with Send International. And so we have absolutely loved our time uh, being back with Wildwood and being refreshed. Uh, and, and it is uh, such a joy to be able to even come this morning and to share uh, the, God's Word today. Uh, and I just absolutely love preaching. I love teaching. And so this is a, a, an opportunity I very much treasure uh, not only am I excited to preach this morning because I don't have to do it in Japanese, uh, but also it's just so meaningful to spend a long time in a passage and uh, mine deep into it and then be able to share that together this morning. Uh, I was asked to do a little bit of an, an introduction of what types of ministry we do in Japan, so I'll briefly talk a little bit about that. Uh, my wife, Laura, uh, uses English or teaching English as a medium through which to reach into the community and uh, engage with people through uh, free lessons or private lessons. Uh, she even teaches at an uh, a organization that helps single-parent families, and she specifically teaches a free English class uh, for uh, the elementary school kids in that program. So uh, she uses English as a way to really reach into the community. Uh, for myself, uh, I do a lot of uh, student ministry, both inside and outside the church. Outside of the church, I work with a parachurch organization called HiBA, uh, which is High School Born Againers. But uh, that's really hard for Japanese people to say, so they go by HIBA, which is much easier. Uh, but they do things like discipleship and outreach of high school students. And then inside the church, I run a Bible school, or I co-lead a Bible club uh, for the students of, of uh, our church. So that's both middle school and high school. Now, together, we're also uh, partnered with a, a Japanese church. And I thought, if anything I could share, maybe this would be the most encouraging for you. So I actually have a, a picture of that church. Uh, this is the church that we are partnered with in Japan. Uh, the name of the church is Tachikawa Ekimai Christo Kyokai, uh, which if you literally translate means the Christian church in front of the station at Tachikawa. Okay? <laughs> it sounds way better in Japanese, so just trust me. Uh, but this is uh, a fairly large church for Japan. It's about 60 members. Uh, this church was planted about 45 years ago by Send International, uh, and since then has been completely handed over to Japanese leadership. So the pastor and the elders are all Japanese at this church, uh, and praise the Lord that this is a strong, healthy church in Japan. Uh, this is a church that has a heart for church planting. They've done one other church plant that is in a city north of Tachikawa, and the hope is that we would be able to partner as missionaries, not, not just Laura and I, but uh, other send missionaries with this church, with Japanese believers from this church to do a future church plant in the city that we live in called Hino, H-I-N-O, Hino. Uh, and so we would just truly appreciate your prayers uh, for your brothers and sisters in Japan, 
uh, and also for us as we try to figure out how to take uh, steps in this direction. Uh, and that if, if that is God's will, he would open up the, the gates for that to happen. And so we really appreciate uh, your prayers for that. This morning, we're going to be spending time in uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, either in print or digitally, flip them, or turn it, uh, open those up or turn it on. We'll be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Uh, I'd like to uh, start off by reading that passage in its entirety. Verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamp burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants." But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant uh, says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew the master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to come to your word uh, and to look at it like a mirror. Uh, I pray that through your spirit, you would reveal to us the things that we need to hear this morning, Uh, that there are areas, no doubt, that you are trying to do in each and every one of us. And so we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in revealing to us uh, how we need to grow, how we need to be uh, disciplined, how we need to be encouraged. And so, Lord, would you allow your spirit to be active here during this time? We ask all this in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Graduating from high school, I applied to and got accepted to the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Uh, I studied there to get my Bible degree, hoping to go into ministry. Uh, And it was during my time at Moody that I developed a goal to be able to graduate completely debt-free from uh, college. Now, the reason uh, I developed this goal is because that I heard at at my time at Moody that a lot of individuals who want to go into full-time missions uh, but have a large amount of student debt are declined from a lot of organizations because there's no practical way for them to pay off their student loans on a missionary salary. So uh, in pursuing this goal, I had two uh, things that were helping me. Uh, The first was that Moody is a tuition-sponsored school which means that Moody has a network of donors that all give towards the school to pay for the tuition costs of the students. 
Uh, now, there are still things like uh, room and board and books and other expenses. And so it ends up being about $12,000 a year. At least that's what it was my, during my time. Uh, the other thing that, that helped me in achieving this goal was that my parents had done some saving for my schooling and gave me a flat amount of cash and said, as far as you can make that last, that's great, and the rest is on you. And so that got me about a year and some change. However, I had a significant problem in trying to hit this goal. The problem was that when I went into my freshman year, I did not have this idea in my head. And so I went off to Moody with a different mindset. I went in thinking, well, I don't want to overwork myself, and I really want to give my studies a fair crack, so I probably shouldn't get a job, and I probably shouldn't work, and I'll just focus on that. And so this short-sighted thinking caused me problems when eventually I got to my sophomore year and developed this goal. I could have had four years to make three years' worth of expenses, but instead I had to do, uh, make up all those expenses in three years. And so that short-sighted thinking really came back to haunt me during those last three years. Uh, and I know that if I don't answer the question, well, Alex, did you make your goal? You're all going to ask me afterwards, so I'll go ahead and answer it. Uh, through the Lord's provision and a lot of hard work, uh, I was able to graduate completely debt-free, but with only $7 to my name. <laughs> and so fun extension of the story. After that, I worked for a few months and then eventually came here to Wildwood as uh, the intern. And so that's kind of how that all ties together. Now, my guess is that I'm not the only one that has been bitten by their own previous short-sighted thinking. That maybe in your life you've experienced this in some ways, like uh, maybe through previous ex uh, unexpected or impulsive spending, now you're kind of feeling the pinch a little bit financially. Uh, or maybe in the past you had some kind of bad habit, and now that's developing some kind of health issues here and now. Uh, or maybe it's as simple as the snooze bar. You know, in the morning, it's just so easy to hit that, that snooze bar a couple of times or on your phone, tap it a couple of times. And before you know it, the rest of the day, you're running late or you're stressed. And uh, of course, none of you would have done that this morning on daylight savings, right? No one hit the snooze bar, of course. Uh, but the real solution to short-sightedness, to short-sighted thinking, is to get some kind of uh, goal or vision for the future. What's coming or what do we want to come and work your way back and that really informs how you and I need to live here and now. Spiritually speaking, I think sometimes we as Christians can have short-sighted thinking. See, day to day, there are various problems and situations that demand our attention. And spiritually speaking, I think we can lose sight of what is coming. Uh, if you've been in church or have read your Bible uh, significantly, you know that the Bible talks about the coming of Jesus a lot. Uh, in fact, in the New Testament, of the 260 chapters of the entire New Testament, there are 213 references to God's or to Jesus' second coming. And for every one reference that there is to the first coming of Jesus, right at, you know, at the first advent, there are eight references to Jesus' coming. And so this, is, this kind of living of, of only focusing on the here and now just doesn't jive with Scripture. Scripture is screaming for us to remember he's coming back, he's coming back. And so if we want to do that, work our way back and be informed of how to live here and now, we can turn our attention to passages like this, Luke 12. Uh, and so we get to dive into this this morning and see how you and I should live knowing that Jesus is coming back. 
Now, I always feel a little bit bad just jumping into a, a passage or jumping right into the middle of a book. And so what is going on in the book of Luke at this point? Well, we find ourselves in kind of the middle of a large section of Luke, uh, kind of the end of chapter 9 to the end of chapter 19, where uh, Luke is painting this motif of travel as, as Jesus is in his final month of ministry, slowly moving towards the cross. And so these are important teachings that Jesus is trying to give in his final month of ministry. And in fact, uh, we uh, reread in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12. This is kind of what's going on. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. So our passage today comes as Jesus is speaking directly to the 12 disciples as the rest of this huge horde of people are all listening in. And that will be an important detail for our text today. Uh, Another thing we need to know about our text today, that this is actually not just one parable, but Jesus is teaching four parables in rapid succession. Uh, And so they're all on on the same topic, but each parable is designed to teach us something unique. And so let's jump into the first parable, starting in verse 35. Stay dressed for action, Jesus says. Uh, Some of you probably have a little note in your Bible that says something along the lines of uh, the original translation is actually keep your loins girded. Um, In Jesus's time, the dress of choice was the tunic, uh, which was great for kind of, uh, you know, your day to day. It's kind of a long flowy dress like uh, outfit. But if you ever had to work or hunt, or travel, or fight, uh, it wasn't ideal to have, you know, something long and flowy around your legs. This is why you don't see people who are pouring concrete wearing dresses. Uh, So they had a process for tying the tunic up into your belt so that your legs had more freedom and mobility. And Jesus says, you, in your day-to-day, need to take this kind of stance of being constantly ready to jump into the task that you're supposed to have. He continues this idea, still the first parable, when he says, and keep your lamp burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now, in our context, that might not make too much sense. When we get an invitation to a wedding, we know exactly when and where it's at. Uh, But in Jesus's time, people would travel from different areas to attend a wedding. And if somebody got delayed along the way, they would wait until everybody, all the guests had come together, and then they would start the wedding. And then afterwards, as people were traveling home, sometimes people would also uh, be delayed in their travel. And so as a servant, seeing your master go off to a wedding feast, in a very real way, you might not know when he was coming back. There weren't cell phones. He couldn't call. He couldn't text. Uh, so you, you just had to kind of uh, be prepared for whenever he comes home. No master wants to come home to a cold, dark, damp house. And so think about the joy that a master would have coming back and finding the servants ready to spring into action uh, to serve and the house is warm and lit up. 
He would be overjoyed. In fact, our text says that he might be so overjoyed that he would serve the servants himself. And Jesus relates this to you and I, that we are supposed to be ready to spring into action for the task that we are given as well. And when Jesus comes back, he wants to find us like that, active, ready to the task that he's assigned us. That's the first parable. The second parable is a little bit shorter, but starts in verse 39. But knowing this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let me ask you a question. When does a good thief break into a house? Well, it's when the the homeowner or the family has no idea it's coming. And when I think of, of this concept, this imagery that Jesus uses constantly through the the New Testament, uh, I think of my sister Jackie. My sister Jackie lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and at her house, she has a detached garage kind of behind the backside of the house. So whenever she would come home, they would park in the garage, and she would walk in through the back door, and she says she has a habit of always throwing that latch behind her when she enters, except for one day when she forgot. And so she entered into the, to the house and was doing her thing around the house, you know, probably uh, chores and tidying up and all this kind of stuff. And she went upstairs, and while she was upstairs, she heard voices downstairs. Little did she know that four young men had broken into her house through that unlatched door and began taking things that they thought, you know, looked valuable. And so she yelled at them down the stairs, and she heard a flurry of activity as they all ran out that door again, that same unlatched door, uh, but not before they had taken some of the items from her house. And so that is the imagery that Jesus uses here. Uh, You don't know when a thief is going to break into your house. If you do know, you're going to lock everything, right? Uh, And Jesus relates his return like that. So good disciples are also expecting the unexpectedness of his return. And they're constantly vigilant, knowing that Jesus could come back and will come back at a time when we do not expect. That's the second parable. Now, between these two parables, uh, Peter asks a question uh, in verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, I'm going to be honest, when I first read that, and as I was preparing for this, I thought this was one of Peter's classic silly questions, right? Peter is, is known for the, being the kind of the spokesman of the disciples and constantly putting his own foot in his mouth, like at the transfiguration where he's like, Jesus, we should build some tents. This is good. We should build some tents here. But as I unpacked this, it made a little bit more sense. Remember verse, the first half of verse one, where Jesus is, uh, you know, sees the crowd and starts speaking to the 12. Uh, Peter is seeing that Jesus is teaching him directly and is wondering, Jesus, is this, do we, the 12 apostles, need to live like this? Or is this for a greater audience, a bigger group? Uh, And in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't necessarily directly answer the question, but teaches around the question and in so doing answers it. And so that is what these next two parables are. Now, we need to take a, a brief uh, sidebar here. Oh, uh, Andrew, I meant to ask, can I say sidebar or do I have to say free chicken? I don't know if that's like a pulpit rule. Uh, let's call it uh, free side chicken. So, so we have to take a little pause here and talk about hermeneutics for a second. Okay, what are hermeneutics? 
Hermeneutics are principles or tools we use to rightly interpret scripture. And there's a, a lot of these hermeneutics, but did you know that there's even a specific set of hermeneutics for interpreting parables alone? Um, and so uh, we don't have time to dive into all of those hermeneutics for parables, but there are two that will be very, very important for our, this next parable. And the reason why they're important is, as I was preparing for this passage, uh, I, was doing, I was going through different uh, commentaries, and I think I, was, you know, I started off with three or four, and I noticed that all of the commentaries disagreed on how to interpret this one parable. These are reputable commentaries. And so, you know, as, a, as I was trying to do my best, and so I went to Pastor Matt and said, hey, Pat, Matt, can I borrow some of your commentaries? And his commentaries disagreed. I think I had seven commentaries that each had different interpretations for this third parable. So what are these two principles that are important for interpreting this? Uh, if you're taking notes, write these down. First, note the striking or unexpected detail of the story. Write the striking or unexpected detail of the story. Typically, Jesus is trying to say one idea that flows throughout the parable, and the striking or unexpected detail is the point that typically Jesus is trying to make. The second principle is that we should not press all the details of the parable for meaning. Do not press all details for meaning. Uh, so we don't have to parse it apart. Oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Typically, it has one flow that is overarching through the parable, and there's one point that Jesus is trying to make. Okay, so let's jump into the third parable, and we'll see why that's important. Uh, starting in verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful or wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them portion, uh, their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant said to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Many of the commentaries I was reading tried to figure out who were the different managers and stewards. Some translations say steward. Who, is, who are these people? Are the unfaithful not believers? Or are the, uh, the unfaithful managers, maybe is that Israel? And the church is the faithful manager? But Jesus is not trying to parse out all these different groups, but rather he's trying to answer Peter's question. And so Jesus is trying to unpack for, for first the 12, uh, whatever you are entrusted with, you are supposed to be faithful with that. And Jesus is trying to highlight the importance of faithful managing and stewarding of things that are entrusted to us. And so he gives these two ideas. When Jesus comes back, is he going to find you and I faithfully managing whatever has been entrusted to us, or is he not? That's the point that Jesus is trying to make, is those two categories of stewarding the things that are entrusted. So was that true for the 12? Absolutely, right? The, the, the 12 disciples had to faithfully manage was it, what was entrusted to them. Was that true for the audience around listening that day? 
Absolutely. They have things that they were entrusted with. Is that true for you and I? Absolutely, right? We are entrusted with finances and time and talent and jobs. And what the the answer, the question we're trying to answer is what type of manager, what type of steward are you and I going to be? Are we going to faithfully manage and, and when Jesus comes, he'll be overjoyed? Or are we going to be unfaithful managers? And when Jesus comes back, how is he going to respond to that? That's the question that Jesus is trying to highlight. Now, that's the third parable. The fourth parable, actually, before I move on to uh, the, third, the fourth parable, uh, I have a, a little bit of a challenge if you actually did write down those two, uh, those two principles, is uh, go take a look at Luke 16, the shrewd or dishonest parable, or uh, manager parable, because that's a head scratcher if you don't understand these principles. Okay, a little side note for you. Okay, the fourth, fourth parable. Free chicken. Free chicken, <laughs> Free chicken sidebar. <laughs> Uh, Okay, let's uh, read the final parable, starting in verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will uh, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Let me ask you the question, what is the difference between these two servants? Well, both of them didn't act faithfully. Both of them didn't do what they should have. But one knew the will of the master, and the other one didn't. And so this idea of faithful stewarding, being responsible with what's entrusted us, is not just physical possessions, but also these two individuals uh, were responsible for the things that they knew as well. And so you and I, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we come to understand who he is more and more and the things he cares about, we are responsible to manage that well too. And so these ideas, these two parables answer Peter's question. Whatever you've been entrusted with, that's what you're responsible for. And so Jesus clearly answers that uh, through these two parables. Now, as we turn our attention uh, towards uh, applying today's message, uh, today's passage, I think, is very interesting. Whenever we rightly handle the Word of God, we, we, we've rightly interpreted uh, the, a passage, whether that's you know, in, a, in a sermon like this or in your own personal quiet time, underneath that interpretation, you can hang appropriate application, right? You can't read a passage and then apply it in some strange way right over here, even if that's a good application. Uh, you have to be faithful to the Word of God and hang your application under the umbrella of your interpretation, Why that's interesting for this passage is I think there's a lot of appropriate ways to apply this passage. How is Jesus going to find us when he comes back? I think you could apply that to a sin issue. Um, And maybe you find yourself entangled in a particular sin issue. And as we've been discussing this passage, you think, well, I I don't want Jesus to come back and finding me doing this or in the midst of this sin issue. And so an appropriate application of this passage would be putting to death that sin. Uh, or maybe it's something like your finances as you're sitting there. You go, well, you know, I, I, like, I, I don't seem to have control over my finances. Money just kind of comes in and goes out, and I don't know where it goes. And it's a boring one, but an appropriate application. Budgeting could be an application for this passage. I need to be responsible with what God has entrusted to me. Uh, and I th- again, I think there's more. So as we prayed at the onset of this service, uh, at this sermon, If the Spirit has brought something to your attention during this time, 
oh man, I, I want God, oh Jesus, when he comes back, I want him finding me doing this and not doing this. Uh, that is a, probably a good application for you to start with. However, uh, I think from this passage, there is one application that should scream to us above the others. Um, what is the task that Jesus left us here to do? That we are supposed to be faithfully and actively at when he returns. It's the Great Commission, right? In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and you might have to skip to it. I'm sorry, I skipped over one back there. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the job that Jesus left us here to do, that we are supposed to be faithfully and consistently active in right up until the point where he returns. It is being uh, lights, uh, cities on a hill, light in darkness, sharing the good news of the gospel right up until his perfect and unexpected timing. My uh, favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the good news of the gospel, that even though on our own, we would be rebellious and sinful right up until the end, God has chosen to reach in and cause life to to well up inside of us. And in a very real way, when we turn in repentance, we are new. You know, praise God for that. We can have newness. We're not trying to make the old work. We have a new heart. That is the good news of the gospel. But Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, doesn't stop there. And immediately he goes here in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through who? Us. God has given us this job, this task, to bring this good news to all dark and broken corners of the world. And so how do we do this? How do we be good ambassadors of the gospel to a broken world? Well, first we do so to those that are local to us, those that are in our immediate area. Do you know where you're at in life is not an accident? That God has you in a particular context to be an ambassador for him. You're in a very particular family, in a very particular workplace. Uh, Maybe you're a student. Uh, Maybe you have an interest or hobby. By design, God has put you there to reach people that only you can reach, that you are supposed to be a light to those people. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I researched reasons why people don't share their faith. I'm sorry, why Christians don't share their faith. And there were three top answers I'd like to discuss. One is fear. They have a fear of sharing. Two is that they have a lack of opportunity. And three, third, is that they feel unequipped to share. Uh, Let's talk about those one at a time. First, fear. 
Um, let me ask you a, a question. Whose responsibility is it for the gospel to grow in the heart of somebody else? God's, yes. That uh, even in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 3, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and who brought about the growth? God did. That it is not our responsibility to actually bring about any kind of fruit. So the, the, uh, the uh, responsibility for that person accepting or believing the gospel is not on you and I. But scripture is clear that we need to be faithful. Faithful in sharing. Constant in sharing. This good news that we have. This hope we don't keep to ourselves, but we openly plant and we water. Which means that even if you do a bad job of sharing, which I'm not encouraging, but even if you, you, your wording isn't quite right or, or they asked that question and I wasn't quite prepared for it, uh, if you are constant in watering and sharing, God can still bring about the growth. And so hopefully for you, that releases some of that fear. Second is lack of opportunity. Now, uh, I'm going to be honest on this one. As Laura and I came back from Japan, kind of the land of opportunity, if you will, Japan is 0.4% Christian population. So if you bump into somebody, chances are they're not Christian. Uh, so we came back from the land of opportunity to the U.S. And before we know it, or knew it, we were here at Wildwood and we were connecting with our supporters and we were meeting with Christian friends and we'd go travel to another church. And we just realized we have enshrouded ourselves in a Christian bubble. Uh, it is so easy to do, right? Uh, and so we were convicted on this point. And we knew that we had to look for opportunity to be around unchurched or non-believers. Uh, and so we began looking for opportunities to do this. And so if you feel that way, I would encourage you, go find a, a place and a way to be around people who aren't churched and aren't believers. Uh, that is a, a important for us to do, to be in the world. Uh, third, feeling unequipped. Before we went to Japan, Laura and I took a class on language learning. Uh, it wasn't a Japanese class, like, how do you say good morning, ohayou gozaimasu. It wasn't that. It was a class on how to learn languages. And so it was things like pronunciation and different tools and advice. Uh, and we learned a lot of good things, but there was one piece of advice that I think stood out to me over the, uh, the whole course. Uh, they said, if you're constantly making it the responsibility of somebody else, to learn Japanese, you'll never learn it. That if, if you're saying, oh, it's my teacher's responsibility to teach me, or it's the school's responsibility to teach me, or it's the organization's responsibility to make sure that I actually learn this, you'll never learn because you're constantly kicking that down the road and you'll, you'll never actually learn the language. But when you take ownership and say, this is my responsibility to learn, even if I have a bad teacher or you know, my organization is frustrating, that you'll keep at it and you'll adapt and you'll find ways to ultimately learn the language. I think this is really good advice for you and I, that if we make it somebody else's responsibility to teach us how to be effective communicators for the gospel, we'll never do it. And so we have to be faithful in memorizing key scriptures. We have to be faithful in being prepared to have a defense for the hope that we have. That's you and I's responsibility. So my encouragement to you is if you would say, I, I don't feel equipped, it is your responsibility to equip yourself. And you can use things like a pastor or a podcast or books. So you, those are great resources. But know that it is your responsibility to be prepared to have a, a defense for the hope that you have. 
Now we also engage in the Great Commission, not just locally, but also around the world. That I think every Christian has an, a, a commitment and an obligation to see the gospel go to dark corners of this globe. In uh, preparing for this, I found a really good quote from uh, John Piper uh, talking about the individual Christian's relationship to global missions. And um, I think it's a little too black and white that it doesn't necessarily uh, balance all of Scripture or other commands of Scripture, but I think by and large it is a good framework for us to think about our individual responsibility in the Great Commission overseas. Piper says this, you have three choices in world missions. One, be a joyful, sacrificial goer. Two, be a joyful, sacrificial sender or be disobedient. That God has left us with the task of making sure people who don't know the Lord know him. And if we don't play some kind of role in that, by and large, we're being disobedient. There are some situations and circumstances. I don't want to be too judgmental of everybody. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe for a season, uh, all you can do is, is uh, you know, be prayerfully supporting missions or missionaries or uh, praying for a specific country. Uh, but by and large, we either need to be joyful, sacrificial goers, joyful, sacrificial senders, or our third option is to be disobedient. So what would it mean if we were goers? In preparation for this sermon, I was kind of dreaming about this portion uh, of what it would mean if Wildwood, every single person here today, went home from this service and then second service and prayed, God, what are you calling me to? And what if we all put a yes on the table? God, yes, what you call me to, I will do. I think largely he would tell us, don't go. I think largely there would be a lot of individuals where he says, I have you in a context for a reason. Uh, be light, be salt and light, be a city on a hill in that location. But of the hundreds of people in this church asking that, praying that, God, what are you calling me to? I'll be faithful to that. I do think he would call people to engage as joyful, sacrificial goers. Uh, that might be short-term, mid-term, long-term. I have no idea. But I think that God would raise up from Wildwood more people if he, they said, yes, I'm going. I will go. I will do whatever you call me to. I think God would raise up people from Wildwood. Uh, I can attest there is a sacrifice to that. Uh, it does come with certain difficulties. But I also want to say the joy of being in the Lord's will for your life is amazing. Uh, and so I would encourage you, if you have not done that, go home today. God, here's my yes what would you have me do? I also think if God does not call you to go, he does call you to send, to be active in, in the, uh, seeing the gospel go forward in missions. Now, there's a few ways that I think it's important for us to do that. One, through prayer. Uh, I, again, I can attest that, that we need your prayer overseas. There's discouragements and complicated situations, and we need your prayer uh, but we have also experienced the importance of being supported by churches and individuals uh, in, uh, as, as being an extension of those individuals going overseas. Uh, I love how Piper doesn't just say, uh, be a joyful, sacrificial goer or send. Um, but there are also joys 
and sacrifices of being partnered in missions. Um, one of the things that has been so touching about coming home on this home service is reconnecting with uh, some of our supporters. Uh, we didn't know because we were over in Japan, but we have supporters who have been through the ringer these last four years, that they have faced all sorts of financial challenges and complicated situations. Some have had health、uh, conditions that we knew nothing about, and yet those individuals faithfully. And sacrificially continue to give towards the ministry of seeing Japanese people reach with the gospel. And they would attest that they get their role in the Great Commission overseas. That they're not just, it's not just something they do or a good cause they give towards, but that they are active in seeing the gospel go forward to Japan. How cool is that? You want to talk about the joy of being involved in this? My, my hope would be that each and every one of you could experience this type of joy the joy of being an active participant and seeing the gospel go to, the other,、uh, to other areas. Now, I want to make two very, very important notes on this、uh, the sender portion.、Uh, portion. Uh, one is that、uh, I am convinced that Wildwood has such a rich history of being involved in missions. This is not a chastisement like, come on, people, what are you doing? Um, but it's, it's an encouragement that if you're not currently involved, please be involved.、Uh, you personally, please be involved in seeing the gospel go to other areas.、Uh, the second note that is、uh, very important for me to make is that I'm not talking about Laura and I.、Okay? Uh, I'm not saying, hey, the application of today's passage, today's scripture, should be that you should support us.、Um, that would be like clear and blatant pulpit abuse, and I'm staying far away from that. In fact, the Lord has been incredibly faithful up until this point in providing for us that we are a stone's throw away from being fully supported to go back in August.、Um, that is a huge blessing. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but instead, what I am saying is, I don't want you to miss out on the joy of being an active participant in the gospel going forward to dark places where people would accept the Lord if they had someone to tell them. I don't want you to miss out on that. And so, as the band returns、uh, for our closing time together, I want to ask you a question Wildwood, how do we want to find Jesus? When he returns, how do we want us to find, how do we want him to find us when he returns? What kind of activities, what kind of lifestyle, what kind of things do we want him finding us doing when he returns?、Uh, my hope is that we would be active in seeing the gospel go forward right up until the last moment when he returns. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that throughout your word, you remind us that we need to constantly have before、uh, ourselves the return of Christ that is imminent. And so, Lord, we want to be、uh, at your work, active at your task, living the kind of lifestyle you command right up until the end. And Lord, we know that we are facing a task that is yet to be completed. There are still people who don't know you and have not heard the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that you would use us to reach those individuals according to your will. Lord, we repent for the times that we have been lazy. We repent for the times when we have not, we have let things like fear or feeling unequipped hold us back from sharing the way that we should. 
Father, we know that your timing for the, uh, for the return of Christ is perfect. That if we knew your rationale for when you're coming back, we wouldn't change a thing. But Lord, we beg you for time. God, we beg you that you would give us more time to reach those that are around us. We pray that our lost friends and family members, people that we care deeply about, that you would give us time to reach them. And we trust you. We know that your timing is perfect, but we want to see them come and know you as Lord and Savior as well. And so we pray that you would give us time. And Father, we pray that you would give us willing hearts to be joyful and sacrificial in seeing your, your will being done and your kingdom coming around the world. God, we love you. We ask all this in Christ and we pray, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.